0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 40. Here's what I'll be talking about in this episode. A Virginia school district is being sued over its racially divisive curriculum. I'll be talking about California Assembly Bill 1078. And a public school superintendent says he will not support pornographic materials in his schools. Story number one. In Virginia, five families have joined together to file a lawsuit against the Albemarle County Public Schools. This is in the Charlottesville area. The families claim the school district was indoctrinating students with a racially divisive curriculum and were compelling students to say they agree with it. This lawsuit was actually dismissed last year by a lower court, so the families appealed that decision, and the oral arguments for that appeal were just held last week. So basically, this suit has been going on for a few years now. Let's get into what the school was actually teaching so all of you teachers and parents out there can know what to keep an eye out for in your own schools. First, in 2019, the school district implemented a new quote-unquote anti-racism policy. And if you read through it, you'll see the words diversity, equity, and inclusion on just about every line the point of the whole policy was to create, you know, a policy to fight racism, which sounds positive, of course. Racism is wrong, but as is often the case with these policies, this is their starting point, okay? This is where they start. Communities of color are being oppressed by white people. That's what they base this whole policy off of. Communities of color, quote-unquote, are being oppressed by white people, and that systemic racism and racist institutions only exist to serve white people. They describe this in the policy. So, according to them, to fight racism, they have to draw sweeping conclusions about one group of people, solely based on their skin color. This is also known as racism. One strategy used in this quote-unquote anti-racism policy was to use restorative justice to discipline students instead of school suspensions for example the idea was that restorative justice would reduce racial disparities within school discipline apparently white students weren't being suspended at a high enough rate so i wonder would this use of you know restorative justice would it be used equally with all students regardless of skin color Or is this just for students with one particular skin color? Well, if the goal is to reduce racial disparities, that means either the numbers for one racial group have to come down, or the numbers for another racial group have to go up so that there's less of a disparity. So the policy can't be applied equally to all students. Another proposed solution uh, in this school policy was to consider race when placing students in honors classes. So for example, if the honors English class doesn't have the right amount of students with a certain skin color, the school's equity board will step right in and fix that problem. And just to reiterate that this policy bases all of these things off of systemic racism and racist institutions designed to serve only white people. So clearly, as it concerns this honors program policy, non-white students would get preferential treatment over white students. That's in this policy. Again, the main consideration is skin color and not merit. That's a racist policy. You can't claim to be fighting racism when your own actions are overtly racist. The lawsuit also claims that students had to participate in racist and discriminatory activities in class. For example, students were asked to raise their hands and identify their own level of privilege. Then they would look around at who was privileged and who was marginalized and write down the characteristics of each group. Who's oppressed and you know, who are the oppressors? So I wonder what kind of characteristics they would observe and write down. Hmm. Well, not surprisingly, the results of that activity stated that white, Christian, cisgender men were the oppressors. I mean, I could have told you that would have been the outcome from the very beginning. So, again, this is why these families are suing the school system. The school policy is racially divisive. And was even implemented with younger students. An eighth grade program stated that white Christian cisgender men were the quote unquote dominant culture in America. And that everyone else was the quote unquote subordinate culture. So racism and discrimination are consistent throughout this policy. You know, which then turns into curriculum and classroom material. And the end result is to have the white Christian students raise their hands confess their guilt while their teacher and classmates write down their sin of having the wrong skin color or the wrong religion. This is actually almost identical to the training I had to complete in Chicago on intersecting identities. It said all the same stuff just with, you know, with the terms privileged and marginalized. But the privileged people were the ones doing all of the abusive stuff. You know, like being a Christian man, a white man having a job, having a home, all that, you know, abusive, evil stuff. I'm joking, of course. So this stuff has been in schools for years now, and it's still in schools. It seems that lawsuits are the only way to change things. Story number two in California, Assembly Bill 1078 now moves on to Governor Newsom's desk, and it is expected to be signed into law. This law would do a couple of things. First, it would prevent schools from banning or removing books that are LGBTQ related. Second, once these books are read and taught to students, you know, encouraging and celebrating homosexuality and transgenderism, the law would also require teachers to keep this information a secret from parents. That's right. This is state sponsored sexual grooming and removal of parental authority, quite literally. This bill was introduced by California's first openly gay black male legislator, Corey Jackson. Jackson claimed that this bill would prevent future book bans in curriculum censorship. Earlier in the year, there was a debate over this bill, whether or not it should pass. During that debate, a mother of two gave her side of the story. This mother talked about... One book in particular titled, quote unquote, This Book is Gay. That's the name of the book. She said, quote, This book is currently in my 13-year-old son's school library. It will remain. A book that has nothing to do with being gay and everything to do with grooming children to make them accessible to adults. Don't believe me? I quote, and this is her reading the book. I quote, How to Use Sex Apps. Number one, upload a tiny picture of yourself to the app. Number two, the app works out your location. Number three, the app tells you where the nearest homosexuals are. Number four, you then chat to them. Number five, because they are near, you can meet with them, End quote. So this book, this is still the mother saying, this book in my son's school explains sex acts in explicit detail in language targeted toward kids, end quote. So the mother's done talking. So she was reading from that book. Based on this mother's testimony, this book would be required by law to remain inside public school libraries. Books that are literally pushing children, I repeat, pushing children to join sex apps, meet strangers in their area And, you know, you can fill in the rest. So what do parents do? What's left? What can they do? This will be the law. A lot of people support this stuff. Yeah, and a lot of people don't. But only one side can win. And the governor is the one signing the bill into law. So parents, are you comfortable sending your kids to an environment like this? Are your kids equipped to handle it? Are they mature enough? Is their faith anchored well enough? Have your children ever had to stand up to a building full of hostile adults and peers, stand their ground, and convincingly state their case? Have your kids ever had to do that? Have you ever had to do that? This is why I say pull your kids out of the public schools. I understand as adults, you may not be able to you know, leave your teaching career if you're a teacher, Or maybe God's called you to a specific work in the public schools. I don't know, that's between you and God. But generally speaking, I don't think kids are equipped for this type of battle. They're just not battle tested because they're kids. Parents should be the ones protecting their kids. That's just my two cents. Story number three, we're gonna finish with a good one. The superintendent of a public school district outside Atlanta has shown some backbone and some intestinal fortitude at a recent school board meeting. Superintendent Chris Ragsdale stood strong and publicly stated that he will not be allowing pornographic materials into his schools. Of course, a bunch of people are mad at him and started to slander him, but there are also many people who support him, people like me. So all of this contention started when the superintendent, decided to remove two books from his school libraries. Those books were titled Flamer and Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Both books detailed homosexual acts, extreme sexual perversion, and I mean extreme. I'm not going to describe what's in these books because it's so foul. And of course, there were graphic images. Critics, of course, accused him of book banning, but the superintendent responded to those claims by saying, no, we're not engaging in book banning. He said, quote, we are following well-established federal and state law and policies and practices of this district that have been with us for years, if not decades, end quote. He added that it's a radical new idea that children must be exposed to sexually inappropriate materials in schools and at such young ages. The superintendent stood up in front of both critics and supporters and was unwavering in his position. He stated, quote, I, as superintendent, will not knowingly allow children in the Cobb County School District to access lewd, vulgar, sexually explicit, obscene, or pornographic material. I want to be very clear. This situation is about right and wrong, good and evil, and there is no middle ground in this situation. You are either in favor of providing inappropriate material to children, or you are against it. I assure you, I am against it, and I will not be moved, end quote. So here's my favorite statement from this whole thing. The superintendent went on to say, quote, if you need someone to blame for deciding to remove books, you can blame me. The Cobb County School District will not knowingly allow this material to be accessed by children in this district, end quote. yes. I absolutely love this guy's backbone and his conviction. Good for him. And you know what? It's good for the school district too. They have themselves a real leader here. Look, it's not easy doing what this guy's doing. The superintendent of any school district is constantly under a ton of pressure and a ton of scrutiny. Constantly. So to stand up and make a statement that you know will be met with hostility. That's not easy. That takes courage. So there are groups calling for his removal, and that's not an easy thing to deal with. But he didn't just say something. He actually did something. He removed those books and said, hey, if you want to blame someone, blame me. But I'm not allowing this garbage into my schools. So to all the schools and all the communities who are sick of this stuff, you need to defend your leaders when they take moral stands like this, because it's not easy. All right, everyone. That's all I have for you this week. Take care. God bless.